On this episode of Year One, we speak to Eduardo, CEO and co-founder of CardioTrack, a company that provides medical devices that gathers health data from employees to help them and their employers better manage their well-being. Eduardo takes us on a journey from a poultry farm to becoming a paramedic, starting and exiting his first business, and then, instead of sitting back and enjoying his retirement, starting a new business. He speaks about what drives him, the lessons that he has learned, and being happy. Eduardo provides so much valuable insights. This is an episode you have to listen to. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Eduardo, I'd like to welcome you to Year One. It's really great having you on our show. We're looking forward to this conversation. Then. I'm going to start off with the question that I ask everyone that comes onto our podcast, and that is why entrepreneurship? Why did you not follow the traditional nine to five and decide that you wanted to do your own thing? I think it took me a while to figure out I'm crazy. And you know what? I have a tattoo on my arm. It says the crazy kind. So I think Satish already knows the story, but I'll go quickly over. I mean, I'm from Mexico, so very traditional family, you know, uh, probably my dad could be the Don Corleone of Mexico. Not on the popular side. <laughs> But more of the, I think, you know what, disclaimer, I was still, no, I don't want the FBI covered, not on the mafia side, but I always tell my dad, I'm like, I tell the story and this is, you know, I love him so much and I have a good conversation, but I come from a very traditional family, you know, structure wise. So my grandfather started the business, my father continued the business. And even though I was still a one-year-old, I was already the CEO in life because my father was, it's the only kid for, uh, you know, there are five. Four girls and one, one, one man. So traditionally wise, my father's Eduardo, my grandfather's Eduardo, my father's Eduardo, I'm Eduardo, and my kids Eduardo. But hopefully I broke the tradition. I'm grateful for it because since I was 15, I started working. My dad used to take me to the farm because they raised chickens. So poultry raising, so we go, it was a 24-hour job. So it really taught me possibility of working. And I really love working, you know. I have no conversations with my partners and my investors and my other co-founders that there's a, a crazy type of, you know, even though today, let's say in Mexico, it's three days, Independence Day. So we don't have work in Mexico. So it's a free of day, but I find always things to do. So I did work there, but what prompted me was always spark doing something more, always more. So I, as I started working with my father, we had like poultry stores. So we fresh product and I see people that were coming to buy two pieces of chicken. But if you add up every day that they pay more than, than the supermarket would get, you know, a complete set of that packaging. But the thing is that the people didn't have the money to buy the supermarket big package, but they had the money daily because a lot of people take, you know, live daily. So they get the money and they, they live there weekly. So I started, I saw the opportunity and I had another friend that was selling diapers from the line of production that were like off a little bit, like not secondhand dirty, but you had to do some corrections. So we packaged them and start some People were getting there to buy two or three diapers per day. So my dad came out. What are you doing? This is a poultry. This is not a super. But I'm, I drag in market. So one thing to another, I said, you know what, old man, I love you, but sit. My 22 years old, I said, I quit. At that time, left with nothing. The only thing I had was my education. You know, slash at 17, I became a paramedic. So I started being a paramedic in ambulances and then took firefighting course. So I was volunteer. So the only thing I knew was being a paramedic. So that's how I started my ventures. And one thing led to another and then doing, 
now. So I've been in healthcare for the last 20 years by a crazy impulse. And I think entrepreneurship, every day it's impulses, it's energy. It's just got to go for it. And we're talking about it. It's a lonely space. It is a crazy space because people will always strike you as crazy until you prove them wrong. But, you know, there's a lot of insecurities in the process because there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of responsibilities and there's a lot of different things. Even though I'm, I've been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years. I sold my company last year. I don't know if I told you this, Satish. I think I sold my first company. I started back in 2003. It was my second company. I sold it last year. We started six. Uh, we ended up with 900 people in 18 state of Mexico. So, but even though we were always bootstrapped, but now I'm a 46 year old. Starting a new startup, first time racing. I'm nervous as hell. I, they're like, so why are you nervous? You're a next founder. I don't know. I'm nervous. You're like, I, I stutter and I'm like, wow, am I really like this? I don't know if I can concern up. <laughs> I don't want to get the peep. <laughs> but one of my, my, my biggest triggers is, you know what? I never want to go back. I never want to go back to that nine to five because I enjoy everything that's been done. I enjoy the good days, the bad days. So for me, the exit, my, my whole rest, my, I mean, I was like, okay, now I sold the company. And now like, so what is my, my, my else, you know, my, my whole experience. And what for me was, I was so happy. It was the happiest time. I had super bad days that I couldn't get money to pay. Imagine 900 people. We pay by week. Yeah, we pay uh, two, two, two times a month. Imagine the, the amount of cash that, that we need to have to pay. And it was like one day and, and I was like, we don't have the money because, you know, Big company didn't pay because they, someone didn't press the button. So they want to change it to the next week. We have stressful moments. We have very joyful moments, but the whole journey was super. And I wouldn't change it for anything. I was able to do a lot and family sacrifices. And, but at the end, it's all about the journey. And yes, it's a lonely journey. Even though your family is happy, probably your family is sad. The only one that really knows and enjoys is you. Today, I got up at two in the morning, just something popped. I was like, oh. I really don't want to go to bed. I just wrote down it. It's those sparkle moment. Listen, there's a lot to unpack on one question. I know you started with you from Mexico, but if I take your origin story of your father and the chicken farm and the quitting and all this and replace the narrative in Bollywood, this happens in a parallel universe. You are now officially an Indian brother, my friend, because this is the narrative that the other culture goes through of trying to get out of this identity of legacy, right? So it's a brave thing to do. And it's one of the hardest, most loneliest things to do because that's what you grew up in. So thank you for sharing that. A lot of people don't know how to deal with that, especially on year one. And we have a similar culture from family and the purpose of family. And when I meet founders that are South Asian for the first time or anybody of color, we don't understand the weight of the culture and their decision to walk away from it. And you have to, there's no one foot in, one foot out. There's no middle ground. You have to voluntarily disown yourself for a period of time to be crazy as fuck and then hope whatever the success is brings everybody back. So I totally understand that. Lots of love. And I just wanted to share that before we moved on. No, thank you. And I, I love this. And moving to Canada. So going a little bit forward there. I mean, I'm in Canada, so that's why I, I'm in station. And moving to Canada was another break. It's not normal for a traditional family to leave your house. I left my house. So I lived with my father. So my parents were divorced. But I lived with my father up until my 30s. It was like, wow, you were staying there. I'm like, no, I mean, but if I didn't have an excuse to live, to get out of my father's house, because if you go out there like, oh, you have problems because you only get out of your house when you're married or, or when you go out to live somewhere else and you go 
So they were like, I come here, like talking with some friends from South Africa, from India. And like, oh, so yeah, I left my house when I'm 18. Oh, I left, why? I left my house when I was 30. I'm like, why 30? I mean, are you okay? We got mental problems. But yeah, so, and then again, you're breaking the mold of living in one place forever. And that's something that I spoke with my wife and bringing the kids here. So I have three kids, you know, Eduardo's 13, Emilia's going to turn 11, and Gaia's going to be eight in, in January. We got to be open to that. And that's one of the main reasons we did that sacrifice, because probably on, on somewhere in your journey, you broke something from the roots of the family. So so bringing my, my, my kids up here, we break that and that gives an opportunity. Yes, there's a lot of sacrifice. And I know probably when Eduardo's going to turn 18, him probably split. And good for him. He's probably want to go to study in London or UK or India. Or, I mean, his best friend is from India. So that type of diversity, it's wow. It really, I would have, if I had an opportunity of asking for this in my previous year, snap. I mean, but breaking that and coming to Canada and with a whole different culture, way of being, out of the family, but having that, it's the same. It's like a new type of entrepreneurship. And that, I think, helped us a lot because it, it molds everyone a little bit there. Eduardo, can I circle back right to the beginning? So your grandfather was a poultry farmer. Your father was a poultry farmer. You started out working with your dad. And then you go, dad, nah, not for me. I'm out of here. How did that go down? Did your dad support? Did your dad know that, you know what? I'm happy to support Eduardo in his desires to pursue his own thing. Not at all. Imagine the third one in the row in the family already had all the cousins that wanted the opportunity. And I come and said, you know what? So I was still studying at the time. So I got my, my, my funding cut off. He took my passport. He took my visa. I left the house. I didn't have nothing, but I, I decided to took that. So he, he told me, and I'm open to this custom because, you know, I opened this a lot. And he told me, if you live, if step, put one foot outside. That's it. You've done everything that you had because we had a good life. I mean, we were, you know, business was doing very good at that time. So, I mean, I had a car, I had, you know, travel. I said, I don't care. I'll step in here and I, I took the walk and I think I walked 10 kilometers to my mother's house. And then he called my mother. If you receive Eduardo, I'm going to cut the pension of the family. My mother said, I don't care. Cut it. So I got important. And but at that time, I'm like, what am I going to do now? So I went, my mother had a friend that had a camp in Veracruz, Rapids, water, sit water. They had a big camp. So I called them up and said, well, you know what? I cannot pay you, but you can be here, work as a paramedic, and you can work off tips. There's food, there's shelter, so there's a tent to sleep in. So I took a bus, 20-hour bus from Monterrey to Veracruz, and works uh, as a paramedic for a summer camp, Swiftwater. And it was the greatest experience, I mean, for me. But then it happened again. Summer came up, and they were like, well, there's no tours every day, just every weekend. But we go to a small city and we work there as waiters or taxi drivers. And my full respect for those careers and those opportunities. But I was like, you know what? I, I think there's something more. So I go back to Monterey and I started working in a supermarket. And then I got the idea. And then I, I said, you know what? I'm a paramedic. There's opportunities. I'm going to buy two ambulances. That's back in 1999. So I go to my dad. I already know Mega Man, but I said, never go to work. So I go, dad, you know what? I'm going to start this business. I'm going to buy two ambulances. I need $10,000. What are you pitching with 20%? And he said, you know what? Let's buy 10 ambulances. I'll buy you 10 ambulances. And I was like, no, you're not getting the idea. I want you to be part of this journey, not own the journey, be, me, be your employee again. So I'm like, no, you don't get it. So then I go to my grandfather on my mother's side. So yeah, I, you know, my mother. So we got the money. I went to Texas, San Antonio. It's about a six-hour drive from Monterrey. 
draw my two ambulance back to Monterey and start the business. And yeah, now reminisces all that. I mean, I would say I have the best relationship with my father because I don't work with him. And I have my brother, Alejandro, he works, he's younger than me. He works on the poultry business. And I remember one time my mother was like, divorced parents, they're always not fighting, but you should tell him to be independent. I'm like, mom, you know what? I think success is a mixture of a lot of things. It's the effort that you put, the hustling, but there, you know, there's coincidental stuff. They're like opening doors for now and then. And so I think in that particular stage in August, back in 1996, when I had the option of just sitting down and, oh yeah, you had that. But I, I was like, nope. I said, you know what? I'm fed up. And I took that opportunity that opened a new channel for me. But, but if my brother had done the same, I don't know what would happen. So I don't recommend everyone right now to go and fight their dad and just step out of the door because I don't know. But the thing is, there come circumstances, involuntary circumstances, but you have to hustle because you can take that first step. But if you don't take the other step of hustling, of taking strength and fighting strength and knowing that there's going to be bad places you're going to go, sad places. We talk a lot, alone places. If you're not willing to get in all those stages, probably the urine's not going to be the same. I'm going to ask one last question. Then I would actually like to find a little bit more about your business. So what's driving you, Eduardo? So you had an opportunity to actually stay in a comfortable business that would probably have become your business, right? Poultry farm. But you forsook that and you walk away and you said, no, I'm not interested in that. You then come up with another idea. You go to your dad and then you turn around. Nope, I don't want that from my dad either. I'm going to rather do this on my own because he's not understanding what I'm trying to achieve. So what's that driver? What's pushing Eduardo. I've done it right now again. I sold my last company. It's not that I couldn't do nothing. I just watched the stocks, by the way, are horrible. I'm not, never again put in one cent in the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> Bad idea to start. Yeah, one to, to founding on top of yeah, that. Yeah. Hey, hey, support, support startups, support startups. I mean, that support startups, support founders, support teams. There's much more money. I mean, it's hard. Because you need to browse a little bit with the same. I mean, you're trusting your money to a guy that's looking at a lot of stuff and making the best decision. I guess the same for startups, but a startup will give you more in return five or seven years. But, you know, there's a lot of fear in, in startups. But I think I'm doing it right now. So I could have just done, and I started a fund, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit more. I started a fund with some other friends of mine. We're investing in edtech, fintech, and, uh, and health tech in Latam, supporting early stage companies for $25,000 tickets. And I'll, I'll jump into that. But I decided, no way. I want to start all over. So I started Kind of Track. And I'm in that journey again. So I don't know. What moves me is I love the rush. I love this. I love networking. I love being out there. I love people telling me, you're crazy. Why are you doing this again? I love getting up at two in the morning. I love traveling. I miss my family. The age comes. You start to get a little bit more tired. But I love networking. I love pitching. I love the energy there is. I know the, I love the rush of doing something different. And then as I'm in healthcare, it moves me even more because healthcare has an impact. All startup has an impact anyway over another. But there's certain that are being able to teach someone. And education is the base of everything. It's the base of opening the mind. And I believe what you're doing, Satish, because it's more education, not math, multiplication. It's more opening your mind. Opening your mind. Just let it, you need a structure for sure. And for me, that's, I would say it's a mixture of the rush, the adrenaline. It's not about the money. I'll tell you this. It's not about the money. I didn't get again into this because of the money. Of course, now that I have investors, I know that everyone's looking for that. 
But it's not the primary motivation mm -hmm. for what I'm doing. It's not predictable. Money is the one thing that is an outcome and can't be a game plan. You can't predict it. And I was thinking about, as you were talking about, why do you do this? And we're in a similar age group. And as you, as I get to learn more about your story, which is new to me, I'm seeing some of the parallels in, in our journey with parents and sort of decisions we're making. But the one thing that stuck out to me is this is about 25 years ago. And somebody said the purpose that all of us have to take on early in life is to answer the question of why am I here? And the answer is the search, right? And for some of us, crazy guys on the call, building businesses and the rush and the disappointment and the struggles and the wins is how we answer that question of what is my purpose? And the beauty of this is there's never going to be an answer. And when I hear you talk, all of the things you've mentioned so far is this continued question of who am I? What is my purpose with every business, whether it's your own or the things you're investing in, the decisions you're making with your family, your parent, your kids, they're all continue to sort of play this question. And if we asked you this question four or five years ago, that Eduardo would have a different version of the same answer than the Eduardo who's lived the last five years through a pandemic and in Canada. And if we meet you again in 10 years, the same question will have a more expansive answer because you've answered that question of purpose a little longer. But you know what's going to be in common? The journey. There's always going to be a journey and there's always going to be excitement and failure. And but it's going to be a journey. And the best thing is, are you happy in that journey? Is that journey fulfilling for your end meets, your happiness. Are you stable on that? Is your family stable on that? And it's not always like that. There's a crisis and there's ups and there's now. But it's all about the journey. You see a lot of everyone's like, oh, my milestones are this. And but when you get there, are you going to be satisfied? For me, I'm also going to be looking for more. And I think entrepreneurs have that in common. We're always looking for more. And I have my, my, my share of failures. I had started a company that was so stubborn. I lost a bunch of money. But it was, it came to a point that I had to say, I had to stop. Where some ways, you know, you know, it's going to tell me no and no, but there comes a point you got to understand sometimes you're not right in the right market. Sometimes you're not in the right timing. Sometimes you're, you have a great product with market time. It's not right. And also you got to be humble. You got to be humble to accept that in the same journey, because sometimes entrepreneurs would tend to be very narcissist or very, no one's going to tell me that this is not right. Especially when you have money and you have traction and you have a crazy PC that's backing you. But then you have to be humble to say, you know what, listen, that there's a lot of people out there smarter than you are willing to help. And if you open that part of the mind, you know, I always tell, you know, my, my dad was, uh, I would, you know, my mother says that it's a silent master. He's a silent teacher because he taught me things that at that time I didn't understand about willingness, about being strict about a decision because he did it. And I, now that I'm a parent, I, I bet his heart broke the, mo the moment I stepped out of that door. But being firm about it taught me to whom I am now. If I would have stepped out and then he called, no, please don't go. I don't know what would happen to him. I wouldn't have measured his, his weaknesses and I don't know what it would have been for me. But I thank him for his strictness and I bet he was like dying of pain. But he, he stood by his word and now he made me a better man than I am. So, so I try to do the same every time I encounter any secret with my family, with my businesses. And I, I try to believe in my values. I try to be more flexible. I don't want my kids running out, but I try not to push them into that. 
but there's going to come a time where it's going to happen. And same in business, you got to take decisions and well, you got to trust and you also got to be flexible. So every time I, I meet someone like you five, five minutes guys, I'm like, you don't want to be the best version of me, but at the same time, be the same openness because all the interchange that we have here is going to leave me with something better. It's going to make me a better person for the next five years when we talk again. Probably two or three thoughts that came across will help you, Dion, in an indirect way or me in an indirect way. And so I tend to be more, I don't know if, if the older we get, we get more philosophical. But, but yeah, I mean, I always tend to be on, on, on that same energy level. Well, if there's anything we can guarantee in this podcast is a lot of happiness and good vibes. So for totally. sure that's being passed on. Let's talk about your business. Let's talk about your startup and let's tell people, call this the bar talk. We got to keep it real simple. All three of us are drunk and you're going to tell us what you do for a living. <laughs> I have fun. So, <laughs> so basically all that I've done and I figured out on, uh, on the late stage of all the businesses that I've done is helping companies in law compliance. So, so companies, their nature is to be productive, productive. So they need like big doors, build cars, but there's always a factor. There's a human being in the process. And human beings, we get sick, even though we don't want to. There are a lot of indirect factors. So we found that the workplace, especially for, so blue-collar workers is our main focus. So there's this band of guys out there that really get up at five in the morning, do a two-hour commute, work five, six hours, and then have to drive back or get a bus two hours back home to get, you know, money for the family. But they suffer the same as we do. I know chronic diseases, it's even though you're the CEO of the company or you're the lower on the pyramid, you suffer the same. We believe, and COVID showed us that. COVID showed us we suffered the same even though what position you are. So mainly a lot of what we have done is those guys don't have time to go to the doctor. And then you put aside what's the situation in the healthcare system. It depends on whatever government there is. You get four times, at least four, four days to get a family doctor, nine to eight hours on an ER. So we needed to do something about it. And health tech really helped that. So we found that companies were losing money, indirect money, because of people being sick. So hypertension, specifically our focus, cardiovascular disease, called the silent killer. You don't know that you have it, but sometimes you feel ill, you don't feel good. So there's a lot of studies, medical studies that show that hyper uncontrolled hypertensive person tends to be more absent. So we started figuring out that companies were open to solutions that will help them identify in a very short time. A sick people and were willing to let us. So we started CardioTrack. So CardioTrack started as a medical device, but more of a cloud data analysis. So we're able to place devices at the workplace and gather that data in a very short, in less than a minute, we're able to take a block, block pressure, pulse, and weight. So we are able to gather that data so we don't take time of the production, but we are able to start to pinpoint in those people that are in control and surprisingly around 30% of the population has hypertension and a lot of them don't know that they have it. So now we're building this digital experience, uh, everything done on WhatsApp, that is a very low digital adherence platform. Everyone has it, especially in Latin America and developing countries. They say is that the immigration tool of communication, because you come to the States and Canada, no one knows WhatsApp is, they only know it's a myth, but us all migrants, we have WhatsApp. So it's a very easy channel. So we're mounting bots and we're mounting telemedicine to give access to those guys. Because so when I pitch, they're like, yeah, but I can have an Apple Watch. Yeah, but you can buy a three, $300 Apple Watch on your 
$100,000 yearly salary. But what, what about those guys that are really doing the work so you can buy that? So we, we've been accessible, simple, and easy to get access. So, so we've been doing that. And right now we have 23,000 workers in continuous monitoring and like about 500,000, almost a million blood pressure measurements that has been able to give us the data. Now we're building this specific journey for those guys. And as we speak, we're starting our MVP on the digital platform. So we're going to, we got what we see changes in the trends will trigger a message. Hey, Eduardo, we see some kind of changes. Would you like to get a teleconsultation with a doctor? Yes. So you schedule the telemedicine, you hook up with a doctor. Doctor will have all your data. You know what? You need this change. You need this medication. So we'll send the medication to your workplace. We'll then keep on monitoring you because medication will trigger changes. But if you don't see changes, then we'll call back again. What? Are you taking your medication? You need change on, on, on the dose. Uh, do you need nutrition support? Do you need mental support? So our need is to have a remote patient monitoring accessible for blue-collar workers. And what the company is going to get back is a, a healthier workforce. Even though companies say, well, I pay for the government to do this. Well, we know if you can send them to the government, uh, you know, to healthcare system, but it's going to take more time. And you still have to pay extra because that guy's not going to be able to work. You're going to have to hire more. So we're going to help you lower those absentee rates and have a healthier workforce. So that's what we have been uh, developing in CardioTrack. What is hypertension? Because you mentioned it, but I don't actually know what that terminology is. So, so hypertension is, so there's diastolic and systolic. And I'm not a doctor, disclaimer, but I know the physiologic. I've been a paramedic. So blood pressure is when you pump, when the heart pumps, it goes to your veins, to your arteries. So, you know, the rate is 120 over 80. So that's the normal pressure that your vein holds when the heart pumps. So... If you have a higher blood pressure, that means that the heart is pumping harder to get that flow. So what happens is, imagine all the way to your, to, so that, you know, hypertension tends to be the predecessor of strokes or heart attack because the smaller vessels at the end of the artery can hold that blood pressure. So a lot of hypertension, it, it's called a silent killer because you really don't know you have it. So it starts to bother your, your, your kidneys, starts to bother your small vessels in the brain. So if you keep on with high blood pressure, they're going to jump, they're going to pop. So you can have stroke, you can have a, a heart attack, pop and you stop bleeding. So that's one of the high risks of hypertension. So the only way right now to measure it is, you know, getting a, a physical measurement of your blood pressure. And you, you see, oh, I got 140 over 90. Oh, then you go to the doctor and you start, and you see a trend. So what happens is once you're hypertensive, there's no way back. You need to like control it with medication. It's, it's you can live with it. But you have to be on medication. But if you get it on an early stage, you can really change that whole product. And small changes, you know, just by getting salt out of your diet, doing 30-minute exercise. Sometimes you need medication. Sometimes you need, but small changes can really make a very important change. Can I just ask, Eduardo, so this is a medical device that gathers health-related information, right? But how yeah. are you, it's not wearable tech, is it? So how am I giving you my data? So it's kiosk. We have a physical kiosk. And what we do is we do identification. So as we work with the companies, we, on our software, we tap into your database. So if you have magnetic cards, you'll go up, you're scanned, and we know that Eduardo is at the kiosk. So in less than a minute, we check all the data and that's it. And we, so one of the things that we are leveraged is in, in Latin America, it's low compliance to take blood pressure if you do, if you're going to do some jobs. So if you're going to work scaffolding, confined spaces, operating heavy machinery, 
you need to get your blood pressure taken mandatory. So that's how we started. We started automating the process because it was done manually and there was no data being gathered. So we automated the process. So we did the kiosk. And if you don't have a, a magnetic card, we can do our platform does a QR code. So you can drag and drop a database and we make QR codes for everyone in stickers, in cell phones. So we have traceability on it. And where did this idea come from? What was the need that you were trying to fulfill? That specifically. Uh, so in my previous company, we put doctors inside companies. So if you have more than 100 employees, you need to have a medical department inside your factory. So we had around 400 uh, of those small clinics inside. It could be either from one nurse. We had a complete hospital. There's a, it's called NEMAC. They do engine blocks. So they had 9,000 workers in their campus. So we had ambulances, doctors, nurses, x-ray labs. And one of the jobs of those medical departments was take blood pressure for those people. But it was done manually. So we would have 50 or 60 people lining up to get their blood pressure taken just manually. So they, they would come up to the nurse, we'll put the cuff, manually inflate it, and we'll just write it down on a piece of paper. No data being collected. So we started with that process and we were able to lower the time that the worker took from the cleaning to the workplace about 10 minutes. So that meant more time that a worker was able to work there. So, but the data was the biggest thing, finding out those types of solutions. So let's talk about the first year. So you had a similar business where you've seen the problem of doctors being in places. You've now said, I have a second business that could do that more efficiently, more access to data, reach more people. A lot of people going into the first year, there's a point where the passion and the education and the experience you have starts to run out as you have to learn new things to keep this business going. Because now you have new data set, new opportunities, new type of business models. In your first year, can you think back on, was there a point where what got you far enough was starting to run out? Now you have to attract new thinking, new process, new model, new understanding, tech, whatever. And what was that sort of moment like? I've been lucky enough so all of the processes I've started, I started, like when I started my first company, I drove my first ambulance. I drove it and operated. In Kyrotrack, I remember with the solution, we were a big steel company. So they wanted to put the device inside the furnace, not the furnace, but the whole warehouse where the molten lava is of steel has been processed and everything. And I carry, I had to put my all my protective equipment. So I was like dressed like a fireman with helmet, anti-flame vest, and I was carrying the the module on my back uh, along the stairs and doing the installation. And so starting doing all the, the work during that process, it comes to times what's next, you know, what's the next step? Uh, am I done? It happens a lot in a lot of the first year. Am I right about this? There's a lot of doubts. There are more doubts than positive things. Is it the right? Are they going to buy again? And then as every year, there's more failures with the MVP that that's, and then it just happened again. We, we got excited with a client and geographically, it's far away and we're suffering right now because they're in a mine up in, in a mountain and very poor communication. We didn't thought it through. And now we're suffering that we have to like think of our ways to communicate with the module. And so, yeah, but I would say, I don't know what got me through that year, but it's always, you know, wanting to be better and wanting, know that there's something better out there. So even though there's failures, you have to start thinking of different ways. And I think that's the spark that entrepreneurs have. I mean, we don't, we don't tend to say, well, that's it, especially in the first year. But if you're jumping, I don't know if, if you can probably tell us a little bit more of your journey, Dion, but if you're jumping from a nine to five stable 
And then you said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And the first six months, you're super highly motivated. But then you start getting into those troubles. And a lot of people could say, you know what? Screw it. I'll go back. And probably my boss, if I, and right now, hey, I'm sorry. I'll go back again. Thank you. Or someone will take you. If you don't come from that nine to five, you don't have anything else but to go. But I I would say there's always the next day is going to get better. Probably it's going to get worse. Probably they always say next day is going to get better. So probably it's not. Probably next day is going to get worse. But then the next day, you'll probably get not such worse, but then it'll get better. Absolutely. I can relate to that. I think still today, it's what, it's now 15, 16 months in. Every day I go, what the fuck am I doing? Have I done the right thing here? Going back into permanent employee is so much easier. <laughs> so, yeah, and you just have to, to speak to yourself and actually say, no, that you've done this for a specific reason and you need to pursue it. You know, you're going to yeah. have your bad days, but eventually those bad days, and I can see it now already, every day you take that extra step and every day you move forward, it gets easier and it gets better. Totally, yeah. I just want to go, so I'm fascinated. So companies had to provide medical staff to actually go in there and track their employees. And that was a paid for service? Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, so, so you've come in there and you've taken away a revenue source from a medical institution now because you say, no, you don't need these doctors and nurses anymore. I'm going to put a device in there. How much pushback did you actually get resistance did you find in this journey well you know what we so we help doctors because okay. doctors at companies so imagine a company is not a company is not built to have a hospital inside yet so we were like the, the ugly duck that they don't want they want money for new machinery but they have to comply with law so we need to prove ourselves that having us is not just a law compliance and that's it we want to be productive because if we are able to show you that if you listen to my recommendations, you're going to have a healthier workforce and they're going to be better. So that was a very tough job. I'm talking about my first company because a lot of companies were, no, I don't care about your plans. I just need law compliance. The minimum, just the minimum that I need to comply and that's it. It took a lot of time to show them that occupational health was more of an investment, more than an expense. Because we were able to have contact with your workers that were sick. People were coming diabetic, were coming with a lot of mental stress. So then imagine we have a 300 worker company with just one doctor when you're, you're going crazy because not only do you have to do your first aid and whack, watch accidents, you have to file a lot of paperwork. You have to do a lot of exams. You have to do a lot of, we, every worker has a physical before they, they, they start working. So they have a lot of exchange rotation of workers. So they're always doing so. So more than, than replacing doctors, we were able to be a tool for them to relieve because they, it was taking. So when we offer our service, we offer a business case. So we ask, how many blood pressures are you taking? No, we take around 70. Okay, who's doing it? A doctor. So our business case is how far, how, how fast are we going to get a return on investment on our service? Because we are going to be able to relieve the doctor of that three hours a day to do more essential tasks rather than just doing a repetitive, non-value operation. I wouldn't say non-value because we're trying to work finding out people that could be at risk of having an accident. But it's not, a machine could do it and automatically. And now we can gather data and the doctor could have more time to do more essential stuff. So we didn't get that much of a pushback. And one thing companies like to better innovation and everything that's sexy innovation wise. So we have good traction on it. Like every right now with the recession or, well, it depends on who you ask, if it's a recession or not. But our companies are like, well, let's, so we're working on different models and now we're uh, selling this 
platforms to be even more return on investment wise for the real solution. And it's it's like health, there's recession or not, health's going to be there. And it's not that we got to stop not being sick. We got to get sick. And so we're trying to help in an easier, more accessible way to get that done. And where's the business now, Eduardo? So we're, we're, we're happy. I mean, we, we tried very hard to enter the North American, especially Canadian states. But life science in, in, in this country, is, it's, it is what it is. It's hard. It's just it's different models, it's just one payer. And we have tried to see companies, it would be interesting. They have the same problem, but there's a lot of privacy issues here. So, I mean, uh, so... An employee he said, I don't want to take my blood pressure taken here because I don't know if the employer is going to know and it's going to fire. And then the employer said, well, I don't want to know the information or have my employer know that he, my employee know that he had a blood pressure here because then he's going to sue me that he got sick because of my process. It's a mindset because the problem is the same. Here you go to a family doctor and you're lucky to have one in an early stage. You get four days to get a schedule. If you feel sick, you go to the ER. It's going to take nine hours if you're, because you're not dying. The hyper... You might feel sick, you know, you got a headache, your ears are buzzing, but it's not an emergency. And so you'll be sitting down for the next nine hours. And yes, you have five or six days a year, but if you're an hypertensive and in control, you're going to spend more than that because you're going to be sick. So the problem is there, but we haven't been able to, to do a click on the importance of it. We're getting there, but our real focus right now is Latin America. So because we found that companies are willing to pay, are willing to cooperate for this kind of model because they... They have the problem and they see it and they still want to be productive and they can leverage the privacy issues on law compliance. And let me tell you this, we, we cover all the laws of privacy. I mean, even though in LATAM, they don't have the same laws as in the States and in Canada, we have the same standards. So we use the standards of privacy that here in Canada for our operations there. So we have that covered. So we are right now in an early stage in a seat around, we're raising capital because we want to expand our solution to other countries. We have agents, we have Intentions from companies in Brazil, in Argentina, that already are asking for, for how can we structure something that, because we work with a lot of international companies. We have a Magna Electronic, they're a Canadian company. We work with them in their operation in Mexico. There's another big company, steel company, Ternium, Techin. They have operations in Brazil, in Argentina. So they're already asking for a solution. So, so yeah, happy times, happy problems, a lot of stressful situations. But yeah, it's part of the journey. Before we close out, I'm going to ask you one last question. So you have, you started out in a poultry farm. You went off, you did your own thing. You started a business. You sold a business. You didn't sit back and enjoy your retirement. You dive straight in. What lessons have you learned through this? Or what is the best bit of advice or the best thing that you could share with early stage founders that you have found got you over those difficult times and kept you moving forward? Always have someone in your same journey and have, some, have a shoulder to cry on, have a shoulder to rely on, have a shoulder to get good news. I mean, I, I think networking is always good. I mean, sometimes we're afraid to say our failures. But I have found this in, in, in different stages. I, I couldn't know because probably in, in the early stage, it was called a mentor, a partner, a CEO, or executive that would help you. And then as you go, there's like networking. And I would say this, that same. For me, having someone to really rely on, and not even yourself because it's a silent journey, but there's, there's a lot of guys like us. We're three fabulous guys here suffering the same. And as we have talked in this last hour, we relate a lot of stuff, family-wise, fears, successes. So I would say that's the thing in common. Have someone 
to really talk to. And another thing is just feel your guts. Just go with it. Don't be afraid to do it. Take a lot of things into consideration. I just don't say, don't go step. Don't tell your father right now and go out there. If you have the means or the enough activity, why or why are you taking that decision? Do it. But at the end, it's always inside. You always have the right answer. Just listen to yourself. And if you're like kind of doubt, go to your next one that had suffered the same. And I haven't this and this. And the only answer is the right answer that you have. Now, everyone would say, having a mentor, you think that he's going to have the right answer. But I think the right mentors are the ones that ask you the right question. And you always get the right answer from yourself, not from theirs. That is so true. That is actually so true. More often than not, you don't need someone to tell you what to do. You need someone to listen to you and actually, by just listening to you and asking probing questions, you answer you have the answer to the problem anyway, because you know in your gut what the right thing is. So for our last segment, Eduardo, there's three words that I'm going to throw out at you, right? And for each word, I would like you to tell me in the context of your business, what does that word mean to you? So the first word in the context of your journey now is family. Pillars. It's a pillar for everything. Team. A must-have. I would say must-have, second family. That becomes your pillar. And the last word then is entrepreneurship. The crazy kind. (laughs) (laughs) I want to try it back in. (laughs) It's a crazy kind journey, but it's the best journey there is. And on that note, it's a crazy type of journey, but the best journey. I think we have to end this. There's, you can't top that. So, Eduardo, I just want to thank you so much for being on our show. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. If people wanted to reach out, find out more about you, where do they go? My email is eduardo at cardiotrack.care. Uh, the website is cardiotrack.care. Or on LinkedIn, uh, they can find me also, uh, Eduardo. Serna, S-E-R-N-A, I'm there. Eduardo, thank you very much. Perfect. Thoroughly enjoyed. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really learned the time and the energy. I'm, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Suthish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by Bluemax. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.